Hello and welcome to Burncast, the podcast looking at the work of screenwriter Nigel Neal with me, John Deere. We're recording this on the day where the UK government uh, resembles the one in, uh, in Neal's 1979 uh, Quite a Mass series. It remains to be seen whether there'll still be a Prime Minister at the end of this recording. But I'm joined this time by Burncast semi-regular, <laughs> recurring character, James full of love. <laughs> of Burkast. Uh, <laughs> you can cut that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's Nigel Neal, uh, biographer Andy Murray. Hello. As we as we celebrate uh, the forthcoming publication of a new edition of Tomato Cane and Other Stories, uh, Neil's original short story collection, uh, originally published in '49, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, which, which was a time when um, Neil writing for television and film was a but a glint in the eye of the creature that infected Victor Caroon. <laughs> I should have thought I should have thought that way. Anyway, welcome, Andy. How are you? I'm all right. Are you? Yeah, not too bad. So it's probably fair to say that uh, there's a publication coming out of of Tomato Cane because of Neil's centenary this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's it's something that people have always wanted to do. People have always wanted to be republished. I can put my hand up and say I certainly always wanted to be republished. But yeah, certainly that's kind of come together and that's the hook that it's hung on. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's why. Would you say you were instrumental in making it happen this year? Uh, yes, but then I would. <laughs> but if it's true, that's that's that, 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 that's that, that's fine, uh, because it's being published by Comma, who were published it originally. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Comma Press. I started uh, being involved with them really when they started. Um, so from sort of mid two thousands, uh, around about the same time as I was writing my Neil biography. I know Ra Page, uh, who uh, established Comma Press pretty well. I'd worked with him before that. I knew what he was interested in, obviously, specifically short stories. That's what Comma Press do. Also, uh, genre, horror, Neil particularly, he, he knew and liked. Uh, we bought out a modern horror collection. I can't lay hands on it right now, called Phobic in 2007, which I edited. Uh, and it was his idea rather than mine to dedicate it, dedicate it to Nigel Neal. So it was always a thought that, well, I, I knew Tomato Cane was great. I thought it should be back out there. And it was always something that I'd kind of pestered Ra about, of, uh, you know, you should bring this back out again. So uh, what's this 15 years later? It's, uh, it's finally happened. So, um, given that it was originally published in 49 when was it last published you know when the last edition well uh, it depends <laughs> so okay. so yeah there was that the 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 collins original was out in 1949 uh it came out in the states published by not in 1950 uh there was the fontana paperback edition fontana is basically collins which is 1961 those three editions are all slightly different so this in terms is, of content yeah so basically there were 20 i think 29 stories 28 stories in the original uh, collins uh three stories were taken out for the uh the us edition two new stories put in so there were 29 stories in the us edition 
A few more stories were taken out for the the Fontana paperbacks, and no, none of those three editions had the exact same same lineup. What was the thinking behind that? I don't know. Um, um, I presume. Well, one of the things which kind of wasn't obvious to me at the time, but it clearly must have been a thought. Uh, one of the stories that was added into the US edition was Essence of Strawberry. Ah, okay. And so that would have been after it was, um, or around about the same time, in fact, that it, it was uh, dramatised for, mm-hmm. for the States. So I presume that was part of that. And I don't know. Um, I mean, I would assume that an awful lot of thought and effort had gone into the original lineup um, on you know the part of Collins and the part of Neil. So I don't know whether it was just a case of a year later, okay, we were happy with that then, but now we've got some more stories. Should we add these in, take those out, just sort of fine tune it a bit, I presume. Um, I don't know why, I presume, and I don't know that it's just practical reasons why the paperback is shorter still. Could that actually be pag- possibly just a pagination budgeting issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, could well be. Uh, and then there was the uh, Manx language edition. Oh, which is handy for a podcast, but I am holding it in my hands, uh, which was published by, um, I won't even try and pronounce it, um, but it's basically the, the, the uh, a sort of Manx cultural group in 2014. This is quite interesting, actually. Um, it's called Tomato Cane, or it's actually called Tomato Cane and some other stories. It's a slightly different. Uh, it's only eight of the original stories. And it's eight of the stories that was sort of very sort of particularly Manx, obviously set in the Isle of Man. And it's uh, a dual language edition. So it's literally sort of Manx uh, to, to promote the use of, of Manx uh, as a language distributed to schools. And I believe it is quite sort of familiar over in the Isle of Man. It is literally something that people know it because, you know, well, still fairly early days, but they might have grown up with it and they might have been exposed to the Manx language because of Nigel Neal, which is quite nice. So I don't know whether you'd count that as, well, I don't think you can quite count that as the full tomato cake. But the bottom line is it hasn't then been, there hasn't been an, an, an updated edition since the early 60s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So was this, uh, was there a copyright issue to going or did you just have to go back to, to the family? To... Yeah, no, that, that, that's all we really did. I, I mm. think um, I can certainly remember when writing the book, mentioning it to Neil, uh, and, you know, mentioning the fact that copies cost you an arm and a leg and mm-hmm. people wanted to get hold of it and people were keen to republish it. And he was just a bit sort of, I don't know, just sort of bit, a bit nonplussed, I suppose. Just didn't seem particularly bothered about bringing it back out. Um, I can't remember a particular reason, um, but there certainly, I don't think there were any copyright issues. It was just, it had kind of fallen out of print. And I suppose in terms of his career, obviously when he wrote it, he was very serious about this. Uh, you know, he put quite a lot of effort into writing short stories and building up the stories for the collection. He was to all intents and purposes, a short story writer, then not anything else. But then he went in a different direction and maybe it was just kind of ended up being a, you know, a kind of forgotten avenue in his career and maybe something that he, he, he was sort of not in any great rush to, to reopen. Certainly not something he did a great deal of later. There are bits and pieces of prose work, but it's, it's not something he ever really went back to full on. Did he do anything original after this was published? Because the, the writing on like for the Quatermass novelization or the the short story of uh, Ladies' Night. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're both uh, adaptations of, of, of scripts. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. There's one other thing. So he wrote a piece for Punch, uh, which is basically a comic monologue 
uh, about the energy crisis and the sort of future of the energy crisis, which we had, I think it was written in 1960. Um, so that was something where we sort of thought, oh, well, maybe we could put that in. But I don't know that that was something that came up quite a lot and, and sort of quite an interesting part of the process to consider, well, to what degree, if we're republishing Tomato Cane, can we just stick anything in there? Yeah, um, okay. Uh, but I just sort of thought, well, it's so far after anything else that you wrote for Tomato Cane. It's a monologue, so not really a short story. Technically, some of the stories in, in Tomato Cane are monologues. But it just felt like, well, it's not really of a piece with Tomato Cane. I think that was something that became quite important, certainly to me anyway, that we treat Tomato Cane as not just a book of Nigel Neal stuff, but a piece of work. Uh, and, you know, he was, like I say, he was very serious about it. He was working with Collins, a major publisher, and not in the States, again, a major publisher. Intro uh, introduction was written by Elizabeth Bowen, a sort of well-respected novelist. Uh, it got good reviews. It won awards. It wasn't a kind of half-baked uh, half sort of project at the time. It was a serious piece of work. So I think it became important to treat it with that seriousness as a, a you know, a kind of... Uh, a piece of work not to be tampered with too much. So this new collection uh, mm -hmm. and with the, the obvious curation, the judgments being made about what you, you wouldn't include anything that wasn't basically ever part of Tomato Cane, mm -hmm. was there always going to be an attempt to try and make it the definitive one? Could it include every single story from every single edition of Tomato Cane? Yeah, that, that was that was kind of straight away sort of what, what I talked about with Comma, that it was a relatively easy thing having you know having a hold of both those the uk and the us edition to say oh well we can unite them both so even in that respect is kind of the complete tomato cane uh, in a way that it has never been quite complete before um and that was something to think about you sort of think well where do you put those stories then do you sort of run it with the uk edition and run the us edition stories at the end or do you sort of interpolate them so that's what we've done basically we've kind of put them in the running order where they would fit if you were to merge them together the only kind of question uh that was kind of raised by that was the fact that both those two editions end on a different story so the uk edition ends on charlie peace and the king which is taken out for the us edition and there's the patter of tiny feet which is put in so you sort of think well which of those then becomes the final story um so actually we've run patter of tiny feet and then charlie peace and the king because i think that's quite a nice lead out for all sorts of reasons again i'm kind of wary of giving any spoilers but i, I think that works quite nicely as a sort of little uh a sort of end piece to the whole collection but um that's not the final story in the collection though, is it well that's what we've done so we've, we've basically kind of made the point in the contents that the other two stories that are in there yeah. were previously uncollected so we're not saying that they belong in tomato cane this again is a kind of question so yeah there are two other stories in there right um which were published in short story magazines and i think the story was that when tomato cane was published neil was talking to Collins, submitting stories, building up a collection, and obviously kind of yeah, the, the running order of that collection. So presumably he did consider the two stories that we had discovered for inclusion in the original Tomato Cane and didn't decide to do, to do so. 
So I sort of thought, well, I wouldn't want to lump them in too much because again, it's that thing of treating tomato cane as, you know, with some sort of authorial uh, intent as a piece of work in its own right. I think you can reasonably include those two stories. They were written at exactly the same time as the other stories. Um, they were published, so obviously he wanted them to be published, but I wouldn't be in any great rush to say they belong in Tomato Cane, so to speak. They're kind of there, but they're there as extras rather than as part of the body of the book, if that makes any sense at all. It does, yeah. You've made that <laughs> sense. Um, one of them was the, is it, it doesn't matter now, but yeah. the one about the, 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 the judge that surfaced randomly, I think, last Christmas. On, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was it. There only seemed to be two other stories. Obviously, he may have written other things. Um, quite a lot of his archive that exists now uh, has been taken from his home where he lived from, from the 60s, and this is way before that. So it's possible he was writing other stories that were never published in any form and are now lost. It's not part of the stuff that's kind of survived in the archive. <laughs> um, but yeah, those the, the other two stories were published uh and uh and yeah the, the those story magazines of which there were many um kind of uh, mm. that they were published in those but you made the decision to publish these two in it yeah in the new edition as opposed to the energy crisis one because these are from a similar time and more of a piece yeah i think so. you can definitely see that they are the same writer uh whereas the other one piece it seems cruel to say it now, uh, but but even you know, I mean, you sort of mentioned it already about that adaptation of it's not a novelization; it's a sort of short storyization uh, of Ladies' Night. So, mm -hmm. Ladies' Night, Neil Drama, nineteen eighty six, part of a series called Unnatural Causes, and they published a, a spin off book, tie in book, with um, you know story versions of each of the, the stories and the, and the thing. Neil wrote his own; they didn't all write. Them. No, no, they didn't. Yeah. So you think, well, should we put that in there? Does that belong as part of this collection? And you're saying, well, no, it's not. It's not an original piece. It's adapted. It's written what fifty years after the rest of Tomato Cane. So you can say, it's, and also it's really long. Um, it's mm, about mm. fifty pages. So if you put it in, it will be by far the longest story. So you start to think, well, that to to put that in there and it be the longest story in the collection. And it not be, yeah. Not to it. And also, I think it's fair to say, I don't think that Ladies' Night is his best piece of work. I don't think that that adaptation is, is his best piece of work. So it would seem strange to have, for it to have this kind of lofty position of, here's the longest story, but yeah, maybe the others are better. I think you and I disagree a bit on Ladies' Night. <laughs> the, the rare occasions where I'm more positive than, than, than you are. <laughs> but this is not the time or place to... to, to, to <laughs> To highlight that that particular phrase. So to go back um, to when these stories were written. Now it was published in 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 in, in forty nine, but wasn't a case that any of them were published individually in short story collections in magazines, for example, or or in or or, or, in, or in or in books before that. Or had he just amassed enough that now he felt confident to try and pitch them as a short story collection? Um, well, sort of yes and yes, really. So yes, some of them had been published in the short story magazines. I think he was already working with Collins by then. So presumably in, in sort of tandem with Collins, he was placing these in magazines, but also I think he was building up towards a collection. So I think the earliest uh, is 1944, so about five years earlier. Uh, and there are even, um, you know, starts to get really uh, complicated, but he trained as an actor. 
And some of these stories were read for the BBC before they were published in Tomato Came. Some of them were read for the BBC afterwards as well. Um, so he was literally sort of trekking to, to Manchester, city centre Manchester, not, not where the BBC is now, but literally in, in Piccadilly Gardens, if there's any Mancunians listening, uh, and recording uh, readings of those short stories, mainly the Manx ones again, and the recordings obviously haven't survived before they were published. So there were a good few, I'd say a good handful. Uh, there is a sort of author's, uh, 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 an editor's note at the back of the book that, that sort of details everything um, of sort of when stories had appeared previously in magazines. Some of them appeared afterwards. Some of them were appearing, you know, within, you know, in the couple of years following publication, some of them were, were, were appearing in magazines. And again, I presume, I don't know, that, that's probably the short story equivalent uh, sort of, you know, from from the sort of publisher's perspective of releasing a single and hoping people will buy the album, you know, <laughs> that those stories are out there. And I guess in the hope that people would like what they read, sort of make note of the name and go and buy the book. So where are we in Neil's career here? He's, is he, has he uh, graduated from RADA yet? Um, he's kind of, yeah, he's kind of got a lot going on at once. Yeah. So he's graduated. He's sort of looking around for work. This is a r roughly around the same point. That's kind of what what's so interesting about those BBC readings is they mm. kind of combine two things. He's kind of working as an actor that he's going in and reading stories, except they're his stories. Uh, so yeah, he's graduated, he's looking for work, he's getting pieces of work, an awful lot. He has some sort of BBC radio credits alongside these readings. Um, but it's way before, or way before, but it certainly is before, um, he starts becoming a BBC employee and writing TV scripts. So it's just when he's got various different things on the go before he kind of finds his way into the world of TV script writing and clearly finds his, his metier and you know off he goes sort of thing. Do we know how he got them on the, these stories on, on, on the radio? Did he send them, send them in on spec to, to local? To... I think the story is that he was approached. Um, it was the mother of Irving Wardle, who was a, a quite successful critic who I, I spoke to when I did the new edition of the book. Uh, his mother was a producer at BBC Manchester. Right. So she, I think, had approached him. And I guess, again, it's one of those things that seems quite strange to somebody like myself living in uh, in Manchester, but I've never been to the Alaman. The Alaman isn't very far away, but it is kind of technically considered part of the region so i presume that was part of it that sort of coming ah. from the north i would assume there was a thinking that oh these these isle of man stories are kind of part of the the landscape of the region or at least that's interesting i would never have thought of the isle of man as the northwest of england yeah i see that literally as a land apart but yeah that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's in a regional true. sense right yeah so i would presume that's why that came about so, did, so does that mean in, in like in the sixties and seventies, was Manx TV was it, and was that in the Granada region? I don't know. Actually, I think I know they had their own, they had their own trans transmitter, didn't they? By mm. uh, by, by the coronation. I yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe they do. Yeah. Were, were they part of Granada? Land? No. I don't know. Actually, we, 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 we should check. It's interesting as, as that we, we both know that, that um, Douglas may have had its own transmitted by the coronation, but Aberdeen didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that's something that says uh, about priorities. 
But I think the story was that the transmitter in Douglas was literally something that somebody, pretty much a DIY latch up. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, fine. Right, that no, I, I seem to remember that being a thing. It does seem odd that the BBC <laughs> prioritised Douglas over, yeah. over, over Northern Scotland, over, <laughs> over, over an industrial town. Um, so it, some of these have been published, some of them haven't, and um, has have some of them been published in print as well as um, being broadcast on. on, on, on yeah, so yeah, I, I could say about a, a handful of them have been in story magazines. Okay. So he just is it a case he gets enough together and then approaches publishers to to to. As far as I know, he was working with Collins from the sort of mid mid forties. Uh, uh, and sort of whittling it down. So I presume the stories that were being published and broadcast were all part of that process right, okay. of building up towards a collection. That's the way he put it anyway, that basically he was just sort of submitting some to Collins. They'd say yes to these, no to these, and sort of slowly build towards saying, right, you've got enough now, we can do a collection. And they would, was it, would it be them that would publish um, in, in magazines? Do they have, or in, short, or in separate short story collections? I don't know who who would have been the publisher. I think they were sort of independent. Certainly, the ones that I'm aware of weren't sort of owned or or anything by Collins. I presume it was just all part of the industry, and that's just the sort of thing that you would do to, like I say, to almost to place them, to to sort of raise awareness about an author. I presume. Okay, it's so fascinating, that whole hmm. short story industry. It is because it sounds like therefore Collins were just uh, accepting stories they liked and then holding on to them till they had enough. Hmm. And I'm not sure that. That happens now, does it? No. Well, I'm not sure it happened very long after that. I mean, it, it, you know, that whole short story industry, um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, you, you have, obviously, this is a time before television or before the, the proper sure. rights of television. Mm. Um, we're, kind, we're talking sort of just about post-war, and I know uh, it's often been said that a lot of sort of uh, people, uh, you know, uh, serving in the war would would read short story magazines. This is a big thing. It's something mm, which mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of it does exist now, but it's quite a prestigious thing, isn't it? You hear about people releasing short story collections, and that that seems quite a sort of prestigious literary thing. Yeah, I think it was just you know, you had short story magazines that would publish, you know just sort of Western short stories, science fiction short stories, obviously in the States, you know, or, or, or a lot of sci-fi authors came up through that. L. Ron Hubbard came up through mm. that. Um, so, you know, it, it was just much more common and widespread that you, you would you would buy and read a short story magazine and then pretty much, you know, within a few years, it, it kind of vanishes. It's like sort of variety, you know, one of these things, it's a whole world and a whole industry. And then just as other kind of forms of entertainment roll on within a few years, they just get wiped out and the whole landscape changes. Well, that's interesting then that if say this slightly more possibly disposable form of entertainment in, 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 short, in short story collections um, is replaced by television mm-hmm. something as well, but there's a lot of dramatizations on radio or readings yeah. or in readings of radio. It doesn't seem to, um, which presumably isn't affected by um, by, 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 by short story collections. Um, so maybe television fits in there where radio doesn't in terms of a replacement. As a, yeah, well, as I mean, I always think, and obviously the, the, the obvious kind of connection in, in, in Neil's career is Beasts. Beasts is a short story collection. 
it's just a television short story collection. Yeah, and all those things like, you know, sort of um, Thriller, the, the Brian Clements series, uh, Tales of the Unexpected, they were almost literally short story collections, authored short story collections on television. It is almost like that kind of becomes the next stage of, of that industry. So we think, therefore, the, the golden age of anthology telly uh, and although possibly what survives most is uh, quite genre-based, but they weren't all, you know, armchair mm. theatre, play for today, that has replaced uh, yeah. the, the, the short story collection more than, say, the radio has in that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Neil himself getting a rare, and for, for them anyway, having his own anthology collection centred on the writer, not only on a theme, but on a writer. That wasn't, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That wasn't uh, known, as, known, known as well. But some of these um, uh, stories in Tomato Cane have been dramatised or uh, broadcast in various media since publication, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, um, so yeah, there's that, well, that, that slightly complicated instance of Essence of Strawberry, which is sort of his actual sort of first television credit, um, which was adapted for a series called The Web in 1951 over in the States. Um, and I think, I th yeah, the, the US edition of Tomato Cane would have been published just before that, so presumably the one thing led to the other. Uh, obviously the one that everybody tends to know is the reading of Photograph uh by tom baker in 1978 uh which is great and it's a very if you've not seen it it is a total you know, a very straight it's a reading of the story that, that's that, that's what it is it's tom baker reading the short story to camera uh, and doing it brilliantly even neil himself really liked it and you know he was no uh, uh no fan of doctor who i'm sure you know that's that's not the first time this has come up right no, no, it's been, it, 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 it's, it's been mentioned a, a number of times. I think it's probably worth worth noting that um, a photograph that's part of uh, again part of a series, yeah, it? yeah. Uh, um, late night stories, late night stories, yes, uh, which Tom Baker reads a collection mm. of um, ghost stories, yeah, uh, and one is chosen, um, which is Neil's. Now, that's I suppose that's. It's technically the last thing Neil does for the BBC, but it's not anything that involves Neil, is it? No, no. Yeah. Um, well, there's the Quatermass memoirs, but that's that's a whole different podcast. That's true. Yeah, that is <laughs> okay for, te for, for for television. Yeah. Um, he doesn't he doesn't write anything for the BBC after seventy four, but this comes along and he's happy to allow yeah. his story to be basically yeah. to be. Uh, to, 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 to be read. Which is but, quite a neat thing, the fact that, that his last sort of, well, <laughs> as you say, his last sort of BBC credit is actually harks back right to the start of his career, even before he worked in television. Indeed. And it was for that reason we chose to to, yeah. to, to, to screen that episode of the recent a little bit. So if you were there for that, I hope you enjoyed that. It has the most marvellous um, title sequence. Uh, yeah. Tom, Tom Baker's performance on the big screen is phenomenally intense yeah. even though he's just sitting at a desk telling you a story and it's just him and a variety of animals and it's um you can find it it's uh is the key to time dvds box set still available yep. i think it's mm -hmm. as well yeah is it it's on it's, it's in that box it's only but it's in the key to time box set, yes. yeah but that's certainly so that's worth that's worth that as well there was a radio play wasn't there of the pond or reading? Um, there's a reading. I think there's reading. two readings of the pond. Um, there's one, hang on, I can, I can bring it up. 
I'll bring up the author's notes. Let me just. Uh, yes, there was a read in the pond. Uh, actually, in 1978, uh, April. No, yeah. And then again in 1988. Yes, I think that's the one I've heard. Both for Radio 4's Morning Story. Which isn't a slot I know that must I presume that was a long running slot that's no longer running. That was the dramatization, was it? That was simply they, a, they were just yeah, just yeah, readings, but yeah. in both cases just readings. Once by Meg Simmons, once by George Parsons. And a few of them were George Parsons uh, same year as that that reading of the pond, uh read Binny and Bettina, which is another short stories. There's a really weird one. Um it's a a, a dramatization of Oh Mirror Mirror by a California radio station, K KPFA, which is a sort of listener-funded uh, station for a strand called Black Mass. Uh, and it went out, I think, in October 1963. So that's quite an odd one that you would have thought, why did any somebody must have just read the story and enjoyed it? Uh, it's, it's kind of out there if you want to go digging, um, but that's a, a real sort of curio of, you know, we'll never probably quite know exactly why they decided to, to latch onto that story and do it. Could that be called in, in any way professional, or is that an amateur performance? Um, are we talking in terms of quality? <laughs> uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. Let's put it up. Um, but it, that was that that was broadcast on a legitimate medium. It wasn't say an amateur in the way that say um, a, the Wine of India play. I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. No. It's yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Let's say it's it's more. It's yeah. It's, it was it was formally broadcast. Yeah. So yeah, it was uh, more of a. Uh, a professional endeavour. That was Omir and Mirror. Well, there's there's something to check out. We'll see if we can provide some details uh, for, for 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 that in the in the show notes. Um, are there any particular uh, favourite? There's a bit. Uh, there's quite a lot to go through. Rather than quickly go through the plot of each one. Um, but do you want to pick out a couple of choice numbers and talk about um, without spoilers? Um, a brief. Uh, uh, a, a, brief, a brief overview and what you enjoy uh, most about some of his work. Yeah, so I mean, the, the story that I always, that struck me the first time I read it, and I still really like it, and it was actually one of the first ones that was published, one of these that was published in a short story magazine magazine before the, 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 the collection, uh, Calculation of Mbambwe, which is, well, again, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it's basically about uh, a group of sort of very well-to-do ladies taking tea together and they get on to discussing um, an African witch doctor who has predicted a kind of uh, apocalyptic event. And that's all I'm going to say, uh, but it's, it's brilliantly written. Uh, and, it, and, and it sort of, does, it, again, actually, when you read it, you see that it is one of those that he was so actually really good at this form. I suppose that's that, that's kind of the big takeaway from from Tomato Kane for me. I would say that obviously in the circumstances, but also that was the reason why I was so keen to get it um, to get it republished. Is you know I, I read Tomato Kane because I was writing the biography and because I thought okay I'm going to have to tick this box. I'm going to have to well bite the bullet and spend quite a lot of money on a copy of the book, having read some of the stories. You know just because it's got to be in there, and then you read it and this is really good. This, this this wasn't a case of, you know, he had a go at short stories and then sort of drifted away from it. I know, let's forget all about it. These are really good short stories. He was so good at it. And and again, that, that particular story is a really good instance of how he really uses the form. Um, he really knows what he's doing. 
And I suppose that's something to say about all the stories, really, is that you, you can pretty much see Nigel Neal, the writer that we know and love today, forming before your very eyes as you're reading it. And, you know, he's learning how to tell stories. You know, there's no probably no better way to learn how to tell stories than to write a short story collection. You know, it's kind of, you know, all those skills in miniature. Uh, and they're all on show there. And that that that's one story that I, I particularly like. Um, do you know what I did not very long ago go through the entire proof of the book uh, while holding a copy of the book in the other hand. So uh, I'm pretty steeped in it. Um, but the, there's a beautiful story. Um, again, for anybody who doesn't know, the, the stories cover all sorts of different things. And there are these stories. Uh, there are stories that are more what you would call Nigel Neal stories. That they are, they kind of hint towards what he went on to do, sort of dealing with the strange, dealing with kind of you know poltergeists crop up a few times. Uh, all that kind of stuff is in there. And then there are stories that are nothing to do with that at all, where he's just writing about quite often the Isle of Man. And there's one story called The Excursion, which is about a sort of village outing. Uh, I think it's the longest story in the book. And it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful piece of writing where he's writing about all these different people, their interrelations on a day out. Uh, it's really vivid. Uh, it's, it's sort of, there's a beautiful economy to it. And that's something that I wasn't expecting, I suppose, the first time that I read Tomato Kate, uh, that you know, you'd know you read all the stories that I'd heard about, about the Isle of Man and just think, actually, these are really good as well. These aren't what you would think of as Nigel Neal. Uh, as we think of him now, but they're really good. So I think those are the two stories that stand out for me. But yeah, I could go on at length about all of them <laughs> if we only had a series. Well, we do have a series of, of, <laughs> of, of podcasts, but there's probably a, a limited amount to, 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 to go through. Some of the titles I always love are, um, are particularly evocative. The Putting Away of Uncle Quaggy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, he always has. But again, you know, if you want to look at that, one of the most striking things about that is that name, isn't it? Quaggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Q U A. Yeah, There's even a story. I think it's Nature Study, uh, which is one of the last ones uh, in the in the collection about a teacher taking a group of children on a, a sort of field trip into uh, into, into nature. Uh, where a character, she shouts out to one of the children and calls him Bernard. You think, wow, if you mm. want to read this as a, a previously unconsidered Quatermass prequel, then you can. Um, but, you know, it, it, there are all those little things in there. Certainly, you know, again, not to, to sort of uh, single too many stories out, but uh, My Nook, which is probably one of the most famous yeah, stories in there, is basically... Um, you know, the stone tape or you must listen or all those kind of things he goes on to listen to, to, to write and become famous for. It is totally the embryonic version of that. Um, and there, there are a few stories in there where you can see him just starting to play with the things that he becomes such a master of. Uh, and that's that's what's fascinating about it. The Taru Ashti. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that, uh, it's fascinating that, but he he, ha he does have this thing and, and he sort of talked about this. Um, and it's odd because, you know, I wrote that, that book on Neil and I wrote or co-wrote 
with with Mark Goldridge a book on uh, Russell T Davis. Mm-hmm. They would seem to be fairly unconnected writers unless you're starting to sort of look at genre or whatever in some ways. But actually, well, something that Neil does and something that Russell does as well is they don't believe, but they're fascinated. Mm-hmm. So Russell has this thing where, you know, he absolutely doesn't have, you know, a religious bone in his body, but he's fascinated by all the trappings of it and so mm-hmm. Uh, and Neil is kind of the same. He, he he doesn't believe in the supernatural, but he's fascinated by it. So a lot of those stories, like the Terror of Ushti, are absolutely about him growing up on the Isle of Man, which is sort of, uh, you know, um, there, are, there are so many Manx uh, uh, tales, bits of folklore, sort of strange mythical beasts, which is, that's what the Terror of Ushti is. It's a sort of sea creature. So he, he kind of considers them and it's fascinating to see somebody who just who clearly doesn't believe in that stuff, just sort of apply themselves to it and and consider it. Uh, it kind of makes me think of when you, you hear all those stories about you know how many Irish writers uh, became sort of brilliant twentieth century authors, and just mm. that idea of if your lang- if this isn't your your native language, you sort of have a distance from it, and you can bring something to it that makes any sense and it's almost like something that that because if he if he believed in all that stuff he wouldn't write about it this way but because he doesn't there's that kind of slight distance where he can deal with it more in a more considered and playful way and bring something to it i think even in the non-supernatural stories you start to see neil's brilliantly judged uh, um, takes on human nature mm. and the horror, even of the of the, of the title story of, of in Tomato Cane. Uh, and if you've uh, why it's called Tomato Cane, if you again, if you've not not read it, I have no no desire to spoil it. Um, but the the small act that the, the central character uh, commits and the consequences of that small act, yeah. uh, you see mounting horror. Uh, and you know it's it's a you know it's not, it's not earth shattering it's not supernatural it's just it's a thing yeah. uh, born of born of human nature uh, that, that he does that has consequences. Sorry, I was gonna, if you want to see those those parallels, yeah, they're absolutely all there. Um, and you know, if you want to consider that there are probably a good few stories here that are monologues. So, okay, how do we consider that? So on one level, he's come from an acting background. So maybe this is something that, you know, he knows how he's presumably read so many monologues and thought, I can do better than this. So he kind of comes from that angle. And also, you know, it kind of uh, looks forward to the fact that that's what he goes on to do, to write dialogue. But also within his sort of life and career, not just, there aren't just these sort of pre-echoes of, of sort of subjects that he goes on to write about. Obviously he's writing about the Isle of Man, there are quite a few stories that sort of refer to uh, either directly or implicitly Lancashire, where he grew up. There are stories, um, the sort of final story in the US edition, Pastor of Tiny Feet, is about a poltergeist, but it's kind of about local reporters going off yeah. to look into it, which is obviously his, his, his parents, uh, his, you know, his family's um, business. So you can see lots of threads. There are stories about acting. There are a couple of stories about sort of the, the acting world, which again is something that he knew about. So it's it's obviously in no way, shape or form, a memoir or an autobiography, but you can see that he's drawing on, as any writer would do, his life and his experiences. So you can see a lot of that stuff sort of marbled through it. It's fascinating. 
and the contrast uh, that he does uh, again become becomes known for for the you know the the mundane and the uncanny mm. um something like Enderby and Sleeping and Sleeping Beauty it's yeah. like weird and fantastical and it sort of makes it almost dreamlike but it centers on a very ordinary soldier in, 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 world, yeah. in, in, in world war ii who's lost, who's lost in the desert it has to be this 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 every man and you you experience the wonder and the horror uh yeah. through through this um unremarkable in in the in, yeah. in, 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 in the nice sense of the world there's that as so many beautiful illustrations of how you would react how you yeah. would, you know, and you see that and that comes together in things like the stone tape if you, mm -hmm. you know if you encountered this how would you react well let's be rational about it yeah uh, and that's uh, as, 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 as well and it makes you think that you know the terrible thing i have done could be literally anything from mass murder to mm -hmm. i burnt dinner uh, yeah. but whatever happens he'll raise the tension and create the drama uh, from, from from those things as well, it's beautiful. Uh, that's uh, that's done as well. Although my favourite title is probably "They're Scared, Mr. Brownell." <laughs> yeah, that could be that could that again that could be anything. But the fact it's a quote, yeah, it only works as a quote. Is this is what this is how I take from it? That's that's something more. Uh, the sense of my best more than say chains or yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Mancini. Oh, that's mm. that's, that's, that's mm. uh, that sets that she sets you off as well. But you know, it doesn't have to work. You don't know, fear her. Uh, has that same quality as a Doctor Who story, but that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> going to be good. It means it's going to be intriguing. Chains is another story, though. So, so going back to what I just mentioned, though, which obviously, again, I won't spoil it, but it's, it's kind of about slaves and slavery, the slave trade. And again, the Manx was a uh, Manx slave trade was a big thing. Something that he went on to write about. Something that his son uh, Matthew's gone on to write about. So again, there's it, there's obviously they're all kind of links to things that he. Uh, you know, knew about to his background, to his upbringing. Um, so yeah, I love all that. <laughs> how was uh, when it's finally published? How was how was Tomato King received? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it won awards, and the reviews were all sort of very positive. Um, and certainly, um, you know, in terms of his career, the story goes that he he sort of went to. The publishers and said all oh, right okay so that's gone down well more short stories then and they just shook their heads and said no if you want to write a novel that would be great and he just doesn't have the interest so it's kind of again that's the sort of said it already but this isn't a sort of um this wasn't a failed project this wasn't you know a sort of something that he sort of had a bit of a go at and it didn't come off it's a brilliant book that did really well that could have led to other things but he just didn't decide to follow it up so it kind of becomes a cul-de-sac now he wanted therefore a second volume of short stories presumably but collins only wanted a novel so we we're already reaching as you say that brief stage where the the short story collection is passing yeah exactly and also he sort of said i think that you know he he didn't have the interest in that much interest in prose he liked the idea of the human face and that kind of drew him towards uh you know uh, television ultimately and that is interesting again that so many of the stories not many but a good few of the stories are, are monologues or, or dialogue driven that clearly although he hasn't quite realized it yet this is what he's interested in 
this is all part of his evolution to, towards becoming Nigel Neal, the scriptwriter, that he likes dialogue and, you know, he, he and monologues, he, he's kind of drawn to all that stuff. He does, but as you, as, 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 as you and I uh, know, and as um, potential spoiler, when um, future events and performances of missing scripts might, might be, uh, might be um, <laughs> available, um, he's not um, uh, un, untalented or with the, um, with stage directions in a camera script. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, for people may be more familiar with scripts of, say, Oscar Wilde. Mm -hmm. I, remember, I remember doing you know, Ideal Husband or Woman of No Importance in English. And you know, you would you would get very flowery descriptions of uh, both locate both occasion, location, and character. Yeah. Um, and they were prose, basically, even though this is set purely in a, a functional script to allow people to understand how to how to portray or you know, yeah. uh, demonstrate that that, that, that character um, but you know wild was 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 was, was, was noted for his, for his, for his little talents yeah. and here neil's doing neil's doing um neil's doing the same thing um no, i think it's so good well the the early um, the first if, if anyone's read uh the script of uh, his missing out of the unknown episode, the chopper. Like the first five or six pages of that are almost entirely stage direction, uh, but they set a scene and they set a a, um, a tone uh, for 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 the, for, the, for the character that is pretty much like pretty 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 much like prose, which is when you know it's, it becomes an interesting dynamic to then have that read out if you have to do a live do a live performance, and even at the end of of that. Uh, there's one again, no spoilers, but there's one character in particular who you could see, you know, Peter Green would, Peter Green would, you know, have centered the camera on. Um, she has no lines; the camera just you know, is on her face and her reaction to to, to the situation. And Neil describes that in you know, in such a way as someone's entire um, concept of reality is suddenly is yeah. suddenly altering, and they're entering a path that they know they can't come back from, but they don't really want to go down. Yeah, uh, he he puts that beautifully, um, and you know all that is, as far as we're concerned, is a shot and an actor or actress reacting to something in a slightly horrified and dazed way. But it's a whole other dimension to see that to to, to, to see that written down, and it's and it's and it's lovely to be able to discover new work that he does where where prose is that is the is the point rather yeah. than an added bonus if you ever happen to. If you ever have, if you ever happen to see it, um, it won the Somerset Mourn Award, mm. didn't it? Quite quite famously, because yeah. uh, Neil's son Matthew has also won the, yeah. won the Somerset Award. What is the Somerset Mourn Award? Um, it uh, it was a uh, a grant to allow him to travel uh, to travel. So he went to Rome, I think, and met up with was his brother Brian already there? I think working. So he went up and uh, went over and met Brian. So yeah, it was literally a kind of. Well done. Go and see the world, sort of, sort of prize. But it's a, it's an award for young writers, isn't it? Oh right, sure. For, yeah, for, yeah, new, yeah. for new writers, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And brilliant that there's kind of that intergenerational thing in it, and to be won by another member of the family. And it's still going, isn't it? So, time for some hardcore marketing. Um, <laughs> when is when is <laughs> this... like the year of the Sex Olympics? Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
when is this collection going to be available? Uh, end of July, I think 28th of July is the date that we've got. It may come out slightly earlier than that in practice, but yeah, that's the, that's the official. Thing. So the end of the month. Yes. Uh, we're, we're, talk, we're talking about mm -hmm. as, 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 as well. And it will be available because you'll be online and in all with bookshops. Yes. Yeah, quite right too. Yes. Now, um, the original had an introduction by writer Elizabeth Bowen. Um, why was she chosen in particular? Was, um, she, a, was she a Collins writer at the time? Or? Yeah, and I think she was just a, you know, a, 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 a big name, mm. relatively big name writer at the time. So, and, and her introduction is great. Her introduction is also in the new edition. But there's a new introduction as well. There is, there? yeah, by, by Mark Gatiss, which is very exciting. Yes, and again, so, you know, you can compare and contrast the new introductions and it is great. He, uh, yeah, it's, again, I won't even spoiler the introduction, but yeah, the, 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 he writes very, uh, very beautifully about it and about Neil. Do you think there's ever any chance of dramatizations of now the stories um, around there? Uh, I don't know. Um, that would be great. I mean, there's certainly, uh, uh, to be honest, I mean, this whole project has come together quite quickly and mm -hmm. in English terms, I think certainly. Uh, you know, things don't generally get sort of turned around quite so quickly. Um, so there are kind of other avenues to explore. So I know, you know, in theory, there will be an audio book further down the line. I don't Amazing. think anything, uh, that, that's, that's still to, 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 to be uh, sorted out. This first edition is a hardback, so there'll be a paperback further down the line as well. So it certainly isn't, uh, you know, that, that there will be more to come. Um, that's not to say that there will be more content to come, um, but yeah, I, I, but it would be fascinating to hear them read. It's, it's such a shame that we don't have those original radio versions of Neil reading them. Obviously, that would be fantastic. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's th this isn't like Doctor Who missing episodes. They're not going to just turn up. We no, just no. resign ourselves to the fact that. Do we even know? Do we know even if they were recorded? One of them was repeated, so obviously, yeah. Um, and it was repeated rather than Neil just read it. Yeah, again. apparently, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that 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 would suggest so. But, One uh, assumes they went out. They generally went out live, though. Yeah, and and again, even the those readings kind of got quite good notices of, you know, his his work and his uh, performance as a reader. Uh, there are sort of various reviews knocking around that that speak quite glowingly of it. So. You know, towards the end of his life, I think he is uncredited on some of the audiobooks of the Mog, the Forgetful Cat series. So that's that's, is he? that's yeah, interesting. I think he's, okay. the odd, he's the odd burglar or something like that in in uh, in the audiobooks of of Mog. So, will, you know, he didn't, will, he didn't give up entirely. I would have to track those down, make them possibly canon with the voice of the telly screens in, <laughs> yeah. in the original in the original <laughs> uh, I can see the I can see a burglar saying, "You are the dead." <laughs> oh. Well, I'm very, very excited uh, for the next couple of weeks to have Tomato Cane out. Once again, thank you, Andy, for your sterling, your, your sterling work in um, in making this in making this a reality. And perhaps um, when it's been published, and I'm just conscious of spoilers, we can come back and maybe examine some stories in a yeah, bit yeah. more detail once it's been out. So we can maybe look at how, as you say, you can see formative Neil 
phase later, phase, 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 phase later works. We could possibly examine a bit more into Manx law and Manx culture that's, yeah. that's uh, investigated, particularly in light of um, the, the Manx language, the, 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 the Manx language edition. But I'm conscious that I, I want to, I want people to enjoy and presumably, I mean, th there are copies available for silly, for silly money, but the majority of people listening won't have read at least, or they may have seen a photograph. That's that's my big concern is that now, yeah. now it's going to come out will presumably um, bring down the price of the those, those older editions that I, I might get killed by a sort of guild of antiquarian booksellers or something like that who are furious at me. Do you know what the market is for secondhand? Uh, particularly the first, the first edition. I once saw the first edition and was just and was just beaten to it, uh, and that was for maybe three hundred quid. Yeah, uh, as well, and then thought that was a sign. I'm not going to. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to spend three hundred quid on a on a, on a on a book. But you can buy it and get change from fifteen pounds within two weeks. That's indeed. Right. Yeah, I have. Oh, I have what a time to be alive. I have it on pre-order. I, I want people to be as, as spoiler-free going into it sure. as well. So very, uh, very little discussion on the stories themselves, more about the process of its creation and its and, and its origin with this. But I think this is a subject we will we will revisit uh, sure. in, a, in a bit more detail once the once the stories are out there. So Andy, thank you very much uh, for joining us. And that's once again the it's hopefully by the twenty eighth of of July, if, if if not before, but basically in the next three weeks. By the end of the month, uh, you can own uh, your very own new edition of Tomato Cane. Hooray! Hey, thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye bye. This episode of Birdcast was presented by John Deere and edited by Howard's David Ingham. You can find the Birdcast website at birdcast.room207press.com. Thanks for listening.